Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Good morning, Ascent. Let's give a hand to Liz doing that one-handed. That's pretty talented. Oh, she probably got that trying to punch Ty. Uh, we are continuing our series. We're in part three of this series to the book of Second Peter, if you have your Bibles. And uh, all throughout this series, what we've been looking at, what Peter's been trying to tell us is he's, a, he's about to be killed by Nero. Uh, he doesn't have much time. And as you can see in the text we just read, he's not messing around. Like he's saying, I'm just going to be straightforward with you guys. Here's the way it is, uh, which I really appreciate. Like I... Um, I struggle to be that way myself. Like I try to make people happy. So I try to kind of, you know, make it as nice as I possibly can. But I always appreciate when somebody talks to me in a very straightforward manner and they just tell me what it is. And that's what Peter's doing. He doesn't have time to mess around. And he's talking about the internal threats that will, if we're not careful, destroy a church. And at Peter's time, he's talking about destroying the church. You got to remember, this is still just a small little movement of people who have seen Jesus rise from the dead and they believe in it so deeply that they're willing to give their own lives for it. And Peter says, this has got to go on beyond us. And so he says, here are the things you need to know. And in the first couple of weeks, I think he really laid the, the foundation. First couple of weeks of, of our deal. He wrote this all in one setting. But in the first couple of weeks of our series, he really laid the, uh, the foundation for the internal threats that we face as, as people in the church. And this week, we're going to get practical. He's going to talk about one of the things that will take out a local church if we're not careful, and that is the teaching, the teachers, the people like me who stand up here with a microphone and get your attention for about 30 to 45 minutes every week. I am possibly the biggest threat to our church that there is. You're like, yeah, amen. I, I, I don't know if I like that or not, but uh, it's true. Uh, and... <laughs> My wife's not in here, so uh, she probably would have... She is in here. Okay, good. Okay, I got to cross off some jokes. <laughs> so Peter, in the first couple of weeks, he, he told us in the week one, if you remember, he said that uh, as people, we have to be people who have a knowledge of God and not a knowledge like a head knowledge, like I can beat you in Bible trivia knowledge, uh, but a knowledge of like I've experienced relationship with God. Like I know God, I've experienced him. And then he said in the next week, he said, we got to be careful that we are people who are living by faith and not by fear. The people who are not controlled by our fear because fear ultimately leads to selfishness when I let it control my life. And love is the ultimate result of when I live by faith. And now Peter jumps in here and I just want to, I want to read uh, why this is so important. Second Peter chapter two, verses one through three. Uh, And then I'm going to give you a couple characteristics of good teachers. And then we're going to go to chapter two briefly. And we're going to look at some characteristics of some bad teachers. And so if I'm those characteristics, you guys can get together and fire me uh, after the sermon. That was a joke. Please don't fire me. Second Peter chapter two, verse one through three. It says there were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Look at what he said. There will be false teachers among you. So are there false teachers among us? Yes. Yes. There will be false teachers among you. And what will they do, Peter? They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Then it says this, many will follow their depraved ways. How many? Many. Yes. You guys are good. 
And the way of truth will be maligned because of them. In other words, it'll be distorted. That we'll, we'll wonder, you know, what is actually the way of truth? Because this guy or this girl says something that sounds pretty good. It sounds godly, but I don't know. I don't know if this is the way of truth or this is the way of truth. It's been maligned by these teachers. And then this is what they'll do to you. And I've seen this over and over. And you've probably seen this. Verse three, it says, they will exploit you in their greed with made up stories. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep. And Peter in the rest of chapter two, he talks about their destruction, talks about the wrath of God on them because God is a good and just God and God will not allow them to get away with the evil that they put on his church. We'll talk about that next week. But what I really want you to see is that there will be false teachers and their motivation is greed. And it's important that you guys know what a false teacher is and what a good teacher is because we all rely heavily on teachers. Uh, you, you can't do what I do during the week because you have your own life. And by that, I mean, like I spend hours and hours and hours and hours looking at this text, trying to understand what it says and then preaching it to you. You guys have jobs, you have lives, you have other things you're putting your heart and your mind and your soul into. And so you've got to rely on a good teacher to help you understand these things. And the problem is, is if we have a bad teacher who can communicate really well, we can begin to believe what he or she says. And then we are led on a true, on a path that is not good. In fact, the path only leads to the wealth of the person who's leading them, which is why we have a lot of Christian books that are full of nonsense, but people buy them because they are based upon fear and, and people will buy those kind of books and they make who rich, they make the person rich, but what do they do to the church? They, they divide the church. It's very divisive. It's, it's, it takes us off of the path of truth. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll, we'll look at a, a couple of uh, good qualities of a teacher and then we'll look at some bad qualities. Father God, as we come before you today, uh, we are grateful for your word. Uh, Lord, we're grateful uh, that your Holy Spirit is active, that as I stand up here and preach today, uh, I'm not doing it alone. I have help. Um, God, and that, that gives me a lot of confidence uh, as a man who knows my own weakness, as a man who, uh, God, I, I know my own heart and, and the paths of evil that I can take myself down if I'm not careful. Lord, I'm just so grateful that I have you and that you love these people even more than I love them. God, I just pray that today you would help me speak truth. You would wipe away any lies that might be said today, and you would highlight the truth of your word in the heart of your listeners. God, as I do the work of preaching, I pray they would do the good work of listening. Jesus, it's in your name that I pray. Amen. All right. Uh, so as we jump in, the very first thing that I think we need to see in a, in a good teacher is uh, that they've actually experienced it themselves. So you look at verse 16, Peter setting this up about why the church should listen to him. And he starts with his own personal experience. He says this, For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So, so these other teachers are coming in and they're giving you all of this intellectual thought and they're telling you all these stories and these myths and these things and they sound really good. But here's why Peter believes this, and here's why you should believe me. It's because I've actually experienced it, he says. Like, I was, I was there with Jesus. So they can tell you all they want to tell you, but I know it because I actually experienced it. Verse 17. For he received honor and glory, he being Jesus, from God the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. 
And Peter is referring to, uh, we read it in, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9, he's referring to the transfiguration where Jesus took three of his disciples up on the mountain and then Jesus uh, transfigured into God in front of them. And Moses and Elijah uh, were there on the mountain and uh, we can only imagine what it would have been like to be there. In fact, we, we know Peter uh, was the guy who put his foot in his mouth when it happened. He was so afraid, he was terrified. He said, hey, maybe I should build some tents for you guys. Like he, He's trying to build altars for God and, and Moses and Elijah there. Jesus is like, just please be quiet. And then uh, God speaks, says, this is my beloved son. Now, we can't even imagine what Peter experienced on that mountain. And you can, you can almost sense it in the Gospels, where they're, like, they're trying to help you understand what was said there and how it was. But it's like, man, there's, <laughs> there's not words to describe what has actually happened here. And Peter says, I was there. And that's why you ought to listen to me. I experienced it. And friends, the same is true today for teachers of the Bible. You want to listen to a teacher of the Bible who's actually experienced the love of God, like like who actually believes what he says, who's the same person off of the stage as they are on the stage. See, my prayer is, and this is a little bit morbid, but I think about my funeral sometimes, and uh, as normal people do, I think. Uh, And and so I, I want my kids, I want my wife, I want the people who are closest to me at my funeral to sit up there and say, we admire Blake more than any of you. Like you, you thought he was a great guy on the stage, but I'm here to tell you, my dad was all that and more at home, that he wasn't just a guy who stood up and talked about love and grace and honesty, but he was a guy who lived love, grace and honesty at home. Like I, I want the people who know me the most to admire me the most because I'm actually experiencing the love of God myself. I'm actually growing in the grace of God myself. I'm not just somebody who stands up here and knows the right words to say so that you guys will say amen and give money and keep coming back. I want to be the actual guy who believes this so deeply that I actually live it out. I want to, I want to be the guy who smokes what he sells. Uh, uh, it's probably really inappropriate, but I said it. But really, I was thinking about that, 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 logo, that motto, whatever you want to call it, in my mind this week as I was preparing the sermon, because that's how my brain works. And I was, I was like, man, where does that come from? So I, I searched it. You know, where, where does that saying, you know, he, he didn't smoke what he sells or sells what he smokes, whatever it is, uh, where does that come from? And it actually comes from uh, an, an interview with an uh, R.J. Reynolds executive in 1992 at the L.A. Times. He thought he was off record. He wasn't off record. And he said this about their cigarettes. He said, we don't smoke that stuff. I I changed an explicitive there. Uh, We don't smoke that stuff. We just sell it. We reserve the right to smoke for the young, the poor, the black, and stupid. Yeah. And as I thought about that, uh, I thought about pastors I've, I've known or I've seen stories of in the news who I think behind the records, they would say the same thing about the message that they preach. We don't actually live that way. We reserve that for the right to the people who will actually come and listen to us. And what Peter is saying is you're going to have people who come into the churches. You're going to have people who try to teach you the Bible, who write best-selling books, and they don't actually care. They haven't actually experienced what they're trying to get you to experience. They just are greedy and they want your money. They have alternative motives. And what Peter is saying here is you ought to listen to the teachers who have actually experienced it. The teachers who actually believe that Jesus is the way that they experience salvation, find peace, no purpose, and live fulfilled. Man, this guy right here is not perfect. This guy right here is not even close to perfect. But I'll tell you what I am. I am a person who loves Jesus deeply. And if all of this was gone tomorrow, if I couldn't speak tomorrow, I would still be a man who loved Jesus deeply. And I pray I never lose that in my teaching. 
And I pray that as we grow as a church and one day when I'm old and I'm coming out here in a walker and I'm handing it off to the next guy who's younger than me, man, I pray that guy loves Jesus deeply with all of his heart. Because that is the first and foremost, most important thing we should look for in a teacher. And by the way, parents, here's a little free tip for you. If you want your kids to listen to you, as a youth pastor before this, I know the best way to get your kids to listen to you is for you actually to live it out. Kids don't care what you say. They care what you do. You can say till you're blue in the face what is the right thing to do, but if you're not living it yourself, if you're a hypocrite in their own eyes, they're not going to listen to you because they can see you don't smoke what you sell. And so they'll, they'll be able to hide it in front of you while they're with you, but when they're out with their friends, when they're making their own decisions, they're going to do exactly what you did, which ought to terrify you. You've got to be the type of person who experiences what you teach before you teach it. All right, next thing. So we said so we got to <laughs> smoke what you sell. I'm going I'm to leave that as the official point uh, for number one. And, and the next thing is, especially this is true in the church more than anywhere else. We've got teachers everywhere, but in the church more than anything else. We want to be people uh, who preach the Bible, who preach the word of God. Now, Peter, the apostle Peter, he walks with God. Uh, he walks with Jesus. He's been at the Mount Transfiguration. He saw the resurrection. And look at what he bases his authority on as we continue uh, into verses 19 through 21. It says, we also have the prophetic word. That'd be what we would call the Old Testament. The prophetic word strongly confirmed. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the, dawn, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I love that. Peter doesn't just say, listen to me because I'm the guy who has it all figured out. He says, no, listen to something far older than me. He's speaking primarily to a Jewish audience. And he says, look at your Jewish scriptures. Your Jewish scriptures are the things that point to the things that I'm teaching. And by the way, friends, this is why I stand up every week and I preach from the Bible. That's why I'm in 2 Peter right now. Next week, I get to talk about angels being locked up in hell. You think I want to talk about that? No, but I am destined and I, I am determined to preach the Bible because I believe that this is what I'm supposed to do. I believe this is the thing that outlives me. And, and like, what else better thing do I have to base my authority on? Like, th there's, there's only a few things you can base your authority on. I could base my authority on uh, the culture, like the way people feel, uh, which a lot, of, a lot of teachers will do that. Like, you know, whatever culture is doing, that's what we're going to do. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach it that way. Uh, or I, I could do it based upon your political preferences. Uh, I, I know what 90% of your political preferences are in the room just because of where we live. It'd be very easy for me to preach based upon political preference. There's a lot of guys who do that as well. But the thing on both of those things, whether I'm doing culture or political preference, is they both change all the time. Like if we were to go back 80 years and look at the culture that people lived in, we would be appalled at some of the things they did. We would think, oh my gosh, that is so archaic, that is so dumb. And what C.S. Lewis says is we can get involved in what is called chronological snobbery, which is where we just think we've got it all figured out. Like, oh, the people back in 1900, they were just so stupid. And look at us now. We are so intellectual. We've got it all figured out. Uh, but the thing is, and I want you to think about it, if 80 years ago we thought they were foolish, and then those people 80 years before them thought they were foolish, what do you think culture is going to think about our culture 80 years from now? <laughs> Yeah, we don't have it all figured out. We're going to look pretty foolish in many ways there. And the political landscape changes all the time. So I, I could preach a message that, you know, when you have one guy who you like, uh, and, and it makes sense for that guy, but then another guy comes in 16 years from now, and all of a sudden I'm preaching a different message because now everybody likes this guy instead of this guy. See, it's, it's based upon shifting sand. But you know what's not shifting sand is the Word of God. 
because it's lasted and it's been confirmed for thousands of years. Like, there's no other document that I could preach from that has proven itself to be true for that long. And yes, of course, if it's to preach to all the cultures, there are going to be some things we find offensive in it. Because how could it not? Because there are things in our culture that people in India find offensive. And there are, people, there are things in India's culture that I find offensive. Like, for instance, they don't eat steak. What is wrong with that, you know? Like, if you're watching on Facebook and you're from India, I'm sorry, I love you, but cows, man, you got to eat them. They're awesome. That has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just true. Uh, so I, I don't want to preach based upon culture. I want to preach based upon something that has lasted, that has been confirmed throughout the ages. Now, we've got to be careful here because people can abuse the Bible. There are people who preach the Bible, and they'll give you a Bible verse, but they preach very abusive things. Uh, sometimes this is kind of not obvious. Other times it's really obvious. I saw something on uh, Facebook a couple weeks ago that was hilarious to me. Uh, it was sad. It was so sad that it was hilarious to me. Because uh, this pastor was, uh, he, he had like this blog. I mean, this is like a super conservative type pastor. And uh, he, he gave 10 uh, biblical Biblical, and, and scare quotes if you're listening on the podcast, uh, biblical uh, uh, things that a, a wife ought to do for her husband. And I can't even read most of them, uh, but I can read one of them. Uh, and I just want to know, ladies, tell me if this would work in, in your, your household. So this is, uh, he, he uses a Bible verse, which is what I mean by people using the Bible as a weapon. He uses Revelations 3.19. And then, <laughs> then he says this, sometimes your husband will need to punish you when you fall short of his expectations. <laughs> Oh, be grateful that he takes the time to correct your behavior and thank him for helping (laughs) to make you a better Christian wife. Anybody want to implement that this week? I would die. You ought to thank me, honey. Oh, man. But the guy uses a Bible verse. Like he, he says a Bible verse and then he says that. So how can we know if a guy's preaching the Bible in an abusive way or if he's preaching the Bible in a godly way? And here's how. You ready? I'll tell you how. If the message is about Jesus, if the message is about what Jesus has done and the good news that he has of God redeeming his people to himself, it's a godly message. If it's about anything else, it might be an okay motivational message. It might be kind of fun to listen to, but it is not all that of a godly message. Because the prophets, the prophets, I said that in a weird way, the prophets In the New Testament, every piece of this book points to who? Points to Jesus. This book is ultimately not about political candidates. This book is ultimately not about your life. This book is not ultimately about culture. This book is ultimately about one guy named Jesus. He's a king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he's coming and he's came to establish his kingdom. And it's about living in his kingdom. And that's what it's all about. Are you waving at me back there? No. Okay. I saw that and I... I have ADHD so bad, it distracts me. All right, so the Bible uh, is our guide. You got to smoke what you sell, and you got to use the Bible as your guide. Now, I want to talk about uh, what we can learn from the bad teachers. If you turn your Bibles to chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, uh, it it gives us a a little bit of advice on those guys. I love this quote from J.K. Rowling. She uh, wrote the Harry Potter series, uh, and she said this, there is plenty to be learned even from a bad teacher, what not to do and how not to be. And I, I find that true uh, because some of the things I've learned the most are from people who were not the greatest people. Because I learned very clearly, oh, I don't want to be like that guy. <laughs> I don't, don't want to do what he just did. And uh, that, that's what we're going to see here as we look at chapter 2, 
uh, verses 18 and 19. It says, For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery. People who have barely escaped from those who live in error. So here's the first thing about a bad teacher. They talk a lot, but they don't really say anything. So look what it says. Uttering boastful, so it's about them, empty words. Pastors are notorious for empty words. Uh, I can, because I, I know Christian culture, I can say a lot of words that literally make no sense. And you guys will say amen and clap. You guys won't because you're really smart. But I go to other churches and they would clap and they would say amen. Uh, because they think that the words sound exciting and the words are supposed to be words they like. So let me give you an example. I've been practicing all week for this. Are you ready for it? There is an anointing in the room today, friends. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be glorious in our world and the worldly ways will try to hold us down, but we have the anointing of the Spirit. And we shall not be overcome by the things that seeketh to overcometh us. Okay. See, that sounds fun. Thank you. I, I, I want to preach a whole sermon like that one day because uh, it's just fun. But I said nothing. Like, it doesn't even make sense. And if you're not a Christian and you don't know what I'm saying, then you just sit there and you're like, what? Like, blood dripping from what? Why is there blood dripping? You know? Like, what does this actually mean? And the words had meaning maybe when they first were said, but over time they become what? They become empty, boastful words. They just become cotton candy. Like they're not leading you to anything. They're aimless. That's the word in the Greek. They're aimless words. They serve no purpose. They're not leading you anywhere. I want to be very intentional as a teacher with my words. I want to make sure that everybody in the room leaves here understanding what the Bible is actually saying. And the, the false teachers, they don't do that. And then look at who they, they get. It says, with fleshly desires and debauchery, people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. See, that's because the, the false teacher will preach a very easy message. So they go after the people who are brand new Christians. And if you remember last week, what did Peter say was important before we got to our ultimate goal of agape love? Endurance. Like you don't become a Christian and then overnight your whole life is fixed. You don't become a Christian and then overnight you never struggle with a sin again. No, it's, it's endurance. It takes a long, long time long time of being obedient over and over and over and over again. There's not a 10-week class I can put you through and then make you come out like Jesus. It just it doesn't work that way. It happens throughout your entire life that God is working. And yet what false teachers can do, what people who uh, are, I think honestly are well-meaning at the beginning is they try to give you a very easy message. But it's just not true. It's just not honest. Uh, I wrote down a couple quotes. I'm not going to mention the names of the, the actual pastors, but they're, they're both really famous pastors. And here's just some quotes that I think really highlight this. One pastor said, God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill the destiny he laid out for us. See, that sounds really nice, but how do you, how do you tell that to a Christian in India who's living on $1 a day? Like, it just, it just doesn't hold up. It sounds nice. And if I'm a new Christian and there's a, there's a teacher who can tell me I can be financially prosperous if I follow what they say, then I'm going to sign up for their course but it's just not true. It's just not honest. You know who honestly usually gets rich from those courses? The guy teaching the course. All right, here's one more. I believe if you keep your faith and you keep your trust, you keep the right attitude. If you're grateful, you'll see God open up new doors. What does that mean? What doors are opening? You know, uh, 
If you're just grateful, if you're just happy, then, then you'll see God open up new doors. The only problem with that is uh, our Savior went to a cross and was beaten and killed. That's a teacher. And Jesus says, you know, if they hate your teacher, they're going to hate the students as well. So, yeah, that, being grateful, that's awesome. You ought to do it. But it's not a promise that God will open up new doors. And yet, what do we have? We have false teachers. We have teachers who will try to lead people off of the path of Jesus. All right, verse 19. It says, They promise them freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. See, and this is uh, really one of the the things I think I struggle with the most as a teacher, uh, is I really want people to like the message of Jesus. And yet Jesus says some really hard things. The, The Bible says some really hard things. And what false teachers can do, and what Blake can be super tempted to do, is just to say, well, there's, there's a little bit of freedom. Like, you don't, you don't actually have to live up to this sexual ethic, or you don't actually have to do this with your money, or you don't actually have to, to think this way about whatever it is going on in your life that you're really passionate about that I think Jesus doesn't like. <laughs> and I can find myself in conversations going, I'm just going to compromise a little bit. I'll just kind of let this thing go, or I, I'll, just, I'll kind of avoid preaching on this subject because I know it's going to make a lot of people angry. And see, this is what the false teacher does, but what they miss is they miss that actual true freedom is not doing whatever you want to do. True freedom is being able to say no to the cravings and the urges that you have within yourself. So you're not actually free when you're, when you're giving in to the sexual ethic that you want to give in to. You're not actually free. You realize that, right? That ethic controls you. It, it is taking over your life, and you can't say no to it. So you can either be a slave to Jesus or you can be a slave to whatever it is that you don't like about what Jesus says. And I, I love in uh, one of the commentaries I was reading this week, it says this. It says, genuine freedom, Peter insists, is found in willingly submitting to the rhyme and reason of life as God has ordered and arranged it. The false teachers declare we are free because we do whatever we please. We are free from all boundaries, restrictions and restraints. Exactly the opposite is true, though. We have been created for freedom, but we discover our freedom only by learning the steps to the dance God has orchestrated. False teachers ignore the score that God has composed for life's symphony, and hence can only limp when God has created them to waltz. See, the the point of the Bible is not how God will help you do whatever it is you want to do. The point of the Bible is here's what God's doing, and here's how you can get involved with what he's doing. Like when, when we think about the things of the world, it's not God's a mean, fun hater. God's the one who designed it. And so he knows how things work the way they're supposed to work. You know, it's like you can use a hammer to brush your teeth, but it's not going to be very effective. A hammer is a lot better when it's hitting the nail. In the same way, there's a lot of ways you can live your life, but it's like brushing your teeth with a hammer. It's just not, just not the way God designed it. And you begin to live fulfilled and find purpose when you begin to live the way that God has designed your life to live. And uh, Molly and Zach, if you guys want to go ahead and come up, I want to close by talking about the greatest teacher. The greatest teacher is Jesus. Jesus is an excellent teacher, and here's why he's an excellent teacher. It's because he didn't just set up in an ivory tower and tell us what to do, but he came down and he lived this life with us. He had experience, personal experience. Uh, Kind of reminds me of when I dislocated my hip. Terrible, awful pain. Uh, got destroyed by a guy way bigger than me. I don't have time for the whole story. Uh, but I'm, I'm in the hospital bed, and I'm, I'm crying, and it's awful. And I'm like, just give me more drugs because I'm in so much pain. And uh, this doctor comes in, and you know he, he's talking to me, and uh, I think he's trying to be funny. Uh, but I, I wasn't in the mood for jokes. And uh, he said, hey, so is this the first time you dislocated your hip? 
And I said, uh, yeah, you know, I'm 14 years old. <laughs> uh, don't just escape my hip very often. Uh, and he said, well, that's awesome, because this is the first time I've ever put a hip back in place. <laughs> this is not what you want to hear your doctor say when you're laying on a table with your hip dislocated. It's like those Holiday Inn commercials where a brain surgeon walks in and he's like, have you ever done brain surgery? Nope, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. You know, it's like, not what you want to hear. And see, Jesus, what makes him so powerful is he comes and he lives this life with us. He can say, I have experienced what you've experienced. And it's truly, it's, it's, it's amazing. Because Jesus, the God of this universe, could have came as anybody. He could have came as a rich king living in a palace. And yet, what does he do? He comes as a poor carpenter. And he lives a blue-collar life where for 30 years, he never even says a thing. He never teaches anybody. He's not trying to actively build his fame. Then he has a three-year ministry. And what's so amazing about this ministry that Jesus has is he never actually even writes down his own words. Like, that should blow our minds a little bit. Every other religious leader, they've got their own book. They've got their own things. Jesus just lived his life. And his followers, through the Holy Spirit, were compelled to write about his life. And he comes, and he doesn't come and, and destroy everybody with the power of God. I mean, think about it. God could put his thumb on you, and you'd be gone. But Jesus comes, and he says he lays down those divine rights. And he lives a completely human life. Why? Because he's living it for you. He tagged in the game for you to live the life you could never live so that you could have his righteousness. And then he goes to the cross and he dies the death you deserve. He is beaten, stripped naked, crown of thorns placed on his head, blood dripping down his face, and the Roman soldiers spit in his face with spit glands that he created. Yet he sits there and he dies, not because he couldn't stop it, but because he wouldn't stop it. So that he might die for the sins of Blake Farley. You see, when I'm full of shame, when I'm in pain, when I'm hurting, when I'm sick, and when I don't know how it's all going to turn out, I don't look to a God who has no idea what I'm talking about, but I listen to a God who's experienced it firsthand. Everything you might go through, God can sympathize with you in it. And then I have this amazing hope because he didn't stay in the grave, did he? Three days later, he rose from the grave, proving that he was who he said he was. And this is why we're here today. If that didn't happen, we wouldn't be here. He'd just be another one of the Jewish messiahs who came and said he was God, and then he died, and it it died out. No, this was the messiah who came, he lived, he died, and he rose again. And he had thousands of eyewitnesses, and then he ascended to heaven where he is right now. And that's so important because he's at the right hand of the Father, the Bible tells me making his enemies his footstool, which is pretty awesome. This is the Jesus that I preach. This is the Jesus that can teach us how to live this life. This is why I follow Jesus instead of political candidates. This is why I follow Jesus instead of what culture tells me. This is why I follow Jesus instead of feelings. This is why I follow Jesus over what any Bible teacher even says. He is the ultimate teacher. He is the one we should all, as teachers, strive to be like. He's the one as humans we should all strive to be like. So friends, let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent your son to die for our sins. But God, thank you that you also sent him to experience what we experience. Thank you, King Jesus, that you came and you overcame death. You overcame sin. And you give me new life. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, I can, I can grow into likeness of you. Lord, I pray for myself as a, as a teacher. Uh, God, that you would... Help me stay on the path that you've laid out for teachers. God, I pray for future teachers out there, God, who I know you're going to call up one day to be preachers and lead. God, I pray that you protect their hearts. 
from the path of greed that so easily entangles us. And God, I pray for the listeners. God, I pray that we would be people who don't just listen to somebody because they sound good, but we listen to what they're saying and we see if that matches up with what our King says because you are the ultimate teacher, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Right now, friends, just take about 20 seconds. Eyes closed, head bowed, and say, Jesus, what are you saying to me through this message? Father, give us the courage to obey what you've spoken to us. It's in your name I pray, amen. Friends, let's stand and worship this God together. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.